0: Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week was Holy Week, and with Easter Sunday capping off the week, we did not have a Bible class. However, Pastor Adi and I sat down on Good Friday to talk about a meditation called The Scapegoat. Enjoy. What was the idea again? Well...
1: Uh, since we don't have class on Easter and, uh, we won't have a podcast to present, we thought, well, maybe we should come up with something because we've used up all our extras,
0: all of our backups,
1: <laughs> all the, yeah. all the ones we banked before. Stay ahead of schedule. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's why we did it. And so you wanted to go over this meditation.
1: Yeah. So, I, uh, Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R, he's a... He's a Catholic guy. Um, Franciscan is his uh, orientation. He's got, I think, a retreat center out in New Mexico, I think, is where he's at. And uh, I came across him, oh, gosh, a number of years ago. He's kind of in the same vein as uh, Henry Nowen, which is another guy I've talked a lot about. He's also a Catholic guy. Um, And... uh, uh, I I appreciate their perspective I don't always buy into it entirely because at least with with roar sometimes his his approach is laced with a little bit of uh, more of a liberal view of the scripture and and a little bit of liberation theology and some of those kinds of things that my conservative Uh, Lutheran radar picks up on and, and would say, well, that's a little bit too far out there for me. But in general, he's got some, he's got some really good things to say, but he's a deep guy and, uh, it's kind of fun to go there occasionally and just kind of chew on it a little bit. And so that's what this, uh, meditation is. I get these meditations weekly and this one in particular came on, on April 17th. So it's pretty fresh. Um, but it's called the scapegoat. So what I want to do, Phil, I think is I want to re—I actually want to read it, and it's not all that long, but it's got some pretty, pretty cool stuff in here. And then we can kind of talk about it maybe, and sure. kind of think of that, particularly as we're recording this is on Good Friday. So anyway, this is called the scapegoat. The ingenious Hebrew ritual from which the word scapegoat originated is described in Leviticus 16. On the Day of Atonement, the priest laid hands on an escaping goat, placing all the sins of the Jewish people from the previous year onto the animal. The goat was then beaten with reeds and thorns and driven out into the desert. It was a vividly symbolic act that helped to unite and free people in the short term. Instead of owning their sins, this ritual allowed people to export them elsewhere, in this case, onto an innocent animal. French philosopher and historian René Girard recognized this highly effective ritual across cultures. I hope I said his name right, by the way. And saw the scapegoat mechanism as a foundational principle for most social groups. The image of the scapegoat powerfully mirrors and reveals the universal but largely unconscious human need to transfer our guilt onto something or someone else by singling that other out for unmerited negative treatment. This pattern is seen in many facets of our society and our private inner lives, so much so that we could almost name it the sin of the world. Note that the word sin is singular— in John 1, 29. the biblical account, however, seems to recognize that only a lamb of God, in quotes, can both reveal and resolve that sin in one nonviolent act. We seldom consciously know that we are scapegoating or projecting. As Jesus said, people literally do not know what they're doing. He said that in Luke 23:34, in reference to the crucifixion. In fact, the effectiveness of this mechanism depends on not seeing it. It's automatic, ingrained, and unconscious. We say, she made me do it. He is guilty. He deserves it. They are the problem. They are evil. We should recognize our own negativity and sinfulness. But instead, we largely hate or blame almost anything else. Sadly, we often find the best cover for that projection is in religion. God has been used to justify violence and hide from the parts of ourselves and our religions that we'd rather ignore. As Jesus said, when anyone kills you, they will think they are doing a holy duty for God, in John 16, verse 2. Unless scapegoating can be consciously seen and named through concrete rituals, owned mistakes, shadow work, or repentance, the pattern will usually remain unconscious and unchallenged. The scriptures rightly call such ignorant hatred and killing sin, and Jesus came precisely to take away our capacity to commit it by exposing the lie for all to see. Jesus stood as the fully innocent one who was condemned by the highest authorities of both church and state, Jerusalem and Rome an act that should create healthy suspicion about how wrong even the highest powers can be. He will show the world how wrong it was about sin, about who really was in the right, and about true judgment, John 16, 8. This is what Jesus is exposing and defeating on the cross. He did not come to change God's mind about us. It did not need changing. Jesus came to change our minds about God and about ourselves, and about where goodness and evil really lie. Kind of thought-provoking, don't you think?
0: Definitely. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, Phil, what's your uh, What's your initial reaction to this? And I don't mean to be the one interviewing you, oh, but no. uh, this is a conversation.
0: What really um, jumped out to me uh, as you were reading it and— it was kind of an interesting moment for synchronicity because as soon as you got to the part where we were talking, about, where you were talking about the the affectedness of laying the blame on someone else, yeah. like she made me do it, he is guilty, he deserves it, they are the problem. I, I wrote down uh, like on my on my tablet, like projecting. And then the very next sentence is like, oh, there's a reason we have this projection. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. We're on the same wavelength right, here. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and that that is something that has definitely jumped out to me, um, especially over over the past uh, few years uh, in, in both the political and economical climate, uh, laying the blame on other groups of people uh, in terms of like, oh, well— they're the reason we don't have jobs or they're hurting job growth or they're hurting the economy. A lot of, a lot of divisive language going that way. And whenever I, whenever I hear that, you know, my, my mind starts to kind of think the, the, uh, the other side of the argument and trying to instill what, what Jesus is, is trying to teach, like just being a servant to one another and not trying to divide and hate but to just love and serve
1: when, when I was reading it too, I, I, I kind of had this sort of reaction moment when uh, I think it's almost at the same place where you did too, where he uses the word hate and blame in the same. In the same sentence, and I think, I think the reason why that sort of grabbed me was, was that I had, for the most part, always been thinking of those two verbs separately. You hate somebody or you blame somebody. I hadn't really put them together like that in the sense that that uh, the claim that's often made of people is that they are promoting hate. And then the reaction um, is, no, we're not hating. But I think that what he's saying here is is that that when you blame somebody, that that's its own form of hate, or when you hate somebody, that's its own form of blame. I, I think probably, I wish, I think, that that the claim would be made more often that we blame than we hate, because that always sounds like a... A judgment being made of one's internal motives that, oh, I hate you. If I disagree with you, I must hate you, you know, and I don't that that really sort of that doesn't that doesn't sit well with me because it feels like you're looking in my heart and saying, therefore, I
0: hate you. Right. You can always have constructive disagreement. Yeah.
1: If there's some way to if there's always some way to do that, that would be a that would be a uh, that would be a good thing. But I think one of the things that people struggle with is what is, the, is, is answering the question, what is the difference between holding someone accountable for something and blaming them for something? Do you have some sense of that? Oh, that is that is a really good and I, question, and I have my and own opinion about that, which I'll be happy to share. But I but I'm very curious about okay. what where you would come at, so, at that.
0: So let me rephrase it just to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. Yeah. Like what what would I consider? Like how would I discern holding someone accountable versus blaming them for something? That's right. That's what I'm asking. Okay. Yeah. Oddly enough, this like this matches to something that I've been developing in for like for a while, a little bit, and, and it uh, kind of goes along along the lines of having respect for another person. And I personally have a base amount of respect for anyone, regardless of who they are, simply because they're a human being. Now, whether you gain more respect on top of that or lose respect from it, it uh, directly correlates to whether the the actions you're performing are mapping to what you're saying yeah. so and that and that's how I kind of would then pivot to define how how I may hold someone accountable versus blaming someone so for example if if someone is if they're in some position of authority and they are talking a big game and they're talking about doing the right things, but their actions aren't necessarily mapping to doing the right things, I I would be very quick to point that out. And then maybe others would say like, well, why are you, why are you giving this guy such a hard time? Why do you hate him so much? And I'm like, and I'm just saying, well, I mean, he's talking about, he's, uh, people are, this person, whoever it is is talking about doing one thing. But their actions are going completely against that. So just by taking an objective look at it, why, why, why is there a uh, disagreement about holding this, per- like either this person or this group of people, accountable for the a- for the actions that they're performing? If if it doesn't go in line with what they're talking about, even if even if it is going in line with what, what they're talking about, it may not be morally correct. Yeah.
1: Well, you said yeah. you said something real interesting to me that may end up being a bit of a rabbit trail on this, but you know I like that idea. You, you just said that that if you were to do that, someone w- might say to you, "Why do you hate that person?" And I'm thinking, well, why would somebody even say that? Why would they say you hate them? It, is that the way the word hate is used today? It can be. Okay. I think that's misunderstood among people in my generation because we think. And and, and how are and, you hating that? Yeah, person? Yeah,
0: and hate is hate is a very strong word, and I think because these terms are just being thrown around so carelessly, unfortunately, we're we're losing the the definition and what it means to each person, and it's always going to vary differently. It's like yes. playing a game of telephone. in Well, a way. it
1: is a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: so. <clears throat> that is, that is definitely the, the term that I've heard on both sides, um, across, uh, a number of political, uh, conversations and topics. And it, and it mainly in from my, what I viewed, it's mainly stemming from you don't agree or think exactly the way that I think, therefore you're wrong. And any arguments that you're making against me is a personal attack on me, which I think people are losing that type of reasoning ability or or skill rather. We're becoming more insens uh insensitized. I think that's a that's the term and and emotionally attached to arguments that we make, and we're closing off any type of criticism that may challenge our view or or challenge our our or our our yeah our view in which different different ways society should be yeah i so when i hear the
1: the word blame versus the idea of holding someone accountable it does seem to me that it's kind of two sides of the same coin in some sense that that people can, will often use blaming language when what they're really attempting to do is hold somebody accountable. I, I think for me, the difference is in the perspective that I take toward myself with respect to whatever it is that you might be doing. So, um, for example, Jesus in Matthew 7, you know, he talks about this idea of uh, don't judge lest you be judged. And that's often a when people who are hearing Christians say something about behavior that the Bible calls sin, for example, then immediately that verse is quoted, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And, of course, that verse doesn't stop there, but that's where everybody stops, you know, and making it sound as if you could never have any sort of opinion about somebody's behavior but, but he does go on further in those verses to, to sort of articulate what he's talking about. And he makes this wonderful analogy of the speck versus the log, you know, that, that if you see the speck in your brother's eye, well, then make sure that you take the log out of your own eye before you do anything with the, with the brother's speck. But he does, uh, he does say... That we do have a responsibility toward each other. That you take the log out of your own eye, so that you can help the brother with the speck. It's not that we should just ignore the speck in the brother's eye and say, "Well."
0: And so you can see clearly to yeah, better find right. the exactly. speck. Yeah, that's right. Exactly.
1: So because the temptation would be to say, "Well, I'm I'm going to take the log out of my own eye, and and then I will have nothing, no responsibility toward you." or the speck in your own eye. And I think I think to some degree people today get very offended by that and say, "Well, you know, I have a right to my own speck." <laughs> or I have a right to my own log and 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 that removes any obligation that we might have toward each other in in some form or fashion. So my sense of it is is that when people when, the difference between blaming somebody and holding somebody responsible in the in the kind of what we're talking about is that that I if I, I one way I can hold someone else responsible is first by looking at myself. Is that I have to examine what are my motives in doing this? What prejudices and biases do I bring to the table? I think it's very honest to do that. And in fact, I think it's, it's part of operating out of strength uh, with, with each other. It certainly is a gospel approach for me to to look at myself and to sort of take kind of an inventory, if you will, so that then when I approach you about the speck in your eye or you've come to me and say, help me with my speck, that I'm, I'm pretty transparent about what I'm bringing to the table, and in what way some of what I'm bringing to the table might, in fact, get in the way. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna bias me, or it's gonna push me in one direction or the other. I like to call it filters. You know, when I'm when I'm teaching a class or when I'm uh, working with somebody, I'll say, "Well, here's the filters I bring to this." It's so that you know where I'm coming from even as I'm helping you with whatever the situation is that you're dealing with. And I think that when people don't do that, they refuse to look at themselves, then it's awfully easy to go into hate-slash-blame language because I'm, I'm giving you or the other person 100% a responsibility for something that, that might, in fact, involve me, that I might, in fact be bringing something uh, to this situation with you. But I'm refusing to look at it because I'm saying, well, it's all your fault and it's all you're doing. And if you would just change, then the world would be a better place.
0: And and it makes it, and being in that mentality, it makes it very hard to recognize when you start falling into that type of language and that type of behavior. And that that's just one thing that, that I wanted to touch on is that this uh, I, I like, I, I like to call it like, uh, I guess, uh, self-awareness, like being, being aware of, of how you speak and whatnot, uh, and how you may treat others. That is definitely a learned skill. It, it's a skill and, and you have to actively practice it either with yourself or someone like someone else that you trust, like being and able to have a real conversation with saying like, Hey, you, you, you mentioned this, you, you may want to like adjust for next time or, or something. And, and that it, it, and it takes time to develop that skill. It's not going to happen overnight. Like I've been, I've been implementing like a, a kind of a self awareness mentality uh, for for a long time, and I and I work on it every single day, and I do I do need to work on it even more. But I, I've started to before I like criticize someone, I I th- I do when I can. I think long and hard how I may approach that 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 subject with the person before just flying off the handle and saying, well, you did this wrong. Well, like, well, what happened? Like how, what, what were you meaning to try and do? And then what were, what actions did you take that may not have gone as planned in order to have the outcome you wanted?
1: Yeah. When, when I'm teaching people how to talk through their differences, um, I use my little tool called, uh, called it cards, but as a way to help people kind of process what, what's bugging them and then, and then uh, how they feel when the thing happened. You know, it's just a little process card that I use. But uh, in the actual conversation that we have with somebody who's, again, doing something that we bothers us or just you know, frustrates us in some way is one important uh, piece to that, and, and what you just said uh, triggered that thought for me, is is well two things. One is to actually listen to what the other person is saying and to listen to what they're saying without imposing your own bias or prejudice into it where you say, Well, I uh, yes, this is what you said, but I know what you meant. It's really careful listening is hearing what the other person is actually saying and not assuming that you know what they meant, but rather asking them to clarify what it is that they meant so that what you end up doing is you say, uh, okay, I hear what you're saying. The the way it's playing to me is, is that what you mean? And so you're, you're clarifying. And then the other piece to it that we often will not do, we just forget to do it or we just don't do it, is to actually invite the other person to tell us why they did it. You know, because there's a lot that we all do this, there's a lot we do that might be frustrating or annoying to somebody else, but we have reasons for doing it and they make perfect sense to us. And if if I don't if you don't invite me to tell you why I'm doing it, well probably at some point I will tell you why, but it comes off as a kind of an excuse or something. But it doesn't give that person the opportunity to say, well, here's what I was thinking or here's the the rationale behind it. It isn't just that I'm doing it to tick you off and make you mad or something.
0: Right. and Well, and then also on the flip side of that, asking someone why they're doing something in particular could also – kind of rub, rub that person the wrong way, being like, oh, so you're questioning what I'm oh, doing. Oh, yeah, I
1: mean, there's a way to do it. And <laughs> no, I, I always
0: tell people, don't
1: use the word why, and of course here I just used it yeah, with you, <laughs> but, but it's just that it's to, to invite the person to say what was in their mind as to the reasons for doing it, so that you can have better understanding. It's not that you're going to condemn the person or anything, it's just I, I don't know any other way short of reading somebody's mind, which most of us are terrible at doing, to to get out of that sort of uh mode of I don't have to listen to you because I already know why you did it. And the reality is, well no you don't. Jesus does, but you don't. And uh to 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 avoid moving into scapegoating somebody or just uh, lumping them all together with all the other people that do exactly the
0: same thing. Right. Yeah. One, one practice that I get into when asking, when when wanting to learn the motive uh-huh. behind the action, mm-hmm. is just providing a, a general disclaimer, like. Hey, I understand you you did this and I I just want to understand why you did that. Yeah. So please don't take it the wrong way, but why yeah. XYZ. Yeah. You know, like just do a disclaimer that way, just just a very tactful, respectful approach sure. Sure. Uh, to to have that kind of uh discussion. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think if, you know, what I've kind of found is that most of us want to give the rationale for the reasons why we did stuff. So like, you know, like let's say that you're trying to explain to your wife, you know, why it was you did something or why it was you didn't do something. Most of the time, it's these sins of omission that get us rather than the, the, uh, the actual things that we did. And I found that um, when, when we're asked to sort of give that explanation or that rationale, you, you do feel at least like you have a little bit of, you know, you can make your case at least to explain... Okay, what was what was I thinking? What was going through my mind when I did this? And if the other person can sort of hear it not as, oh, you're just making an excuse, you know, that sort of thing. But really, actually, there's a genuine uh, effort here to understand. um, Then you feel more valued. You feel more respected in that moment. And you're much more likely to be able to to go into problem solving to maybe prevent you from doing the thing again, uh, uh, again, it just, it, it's just a better, I think a better way to, to, uh, come to
0: some resolution. And that, that is actually something that, that I have some personal experience with. Yeah. <laughs> like with my, with my wife. Yes, indeed. Um, there are some, some pain points that happen, yeah. uh, throughout our relationship where I, I did not communicate enough or basically I just had a conversation with myself yes. on what I was going to do. Uh-huh. And I did not take the time to communicate t- that to her, yes. and so she's kind of just blindsided. Mm-hmm. And then she she's wondering why I'm doing the things that I'm doing, and and then I in turn get frustrated because it's like, oh, it makes all this sense in my head. Why don't you see it that way? And and so that that's just something that I've been learning to to deal with and be able to communicate with her more and more. And that that's just something that we work through things. You know, I, I thank God every day that that she's very patient and kind with me, <laughs> and able to talk things through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, so at the end, we always understand one another, and and then I, I do my best to improve upon, uh, for for future well, situations. Well, it's good that you
1: keep doing that, and you don't take for granted that oh we already know how to do that, or oh we don't have to do it. It's
0: all practice.
1: It <laughs> is. And it's habit. You know, you said, and and even what the article was talking about uh, in when it talks about things that we do in this respect that are uh, largely unconscious, um, which is – that probably is true uh, in my mind. That means that we do them without thinking. It's, you know, kind of a zombie experience here. But, but there's great uh, value, I think, in – Examining our habits and examining what we're doing irrespective of whether I'm doing it consciously or unconsciously. Um, if I'm doing it unconsciously, then I'm doing it without thinking. If I'm doing it consciously, well, then I am aware of what I'm doing and I'm choosing to do it in the moment that I'm doing it. But either one, either motivation can is habit forming. And And so, I think there's great value in looking at our habits. If, if the habit I have, and regularly practice, is that I don't look at myself and ask myself, in what way am I contributing to the problem, then the habit is going to be that I'm going to assign 100% responsibility to somebody else, and then I'm going to go into blame mode, and then I'm going to go into uh, aggression sort of mode and 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 hate in some sense, or at least i'm conveying that hate even if even if the emotion is not hate toward that person but but uh and that what that largely does, i think is it generates a fear it's a it's a fear based or a fear motivator in life as as opposed to a joy or 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 love uh, motivation in life, and and I don't I don't buy into the idea that just because you say that you you are motivated by love that that somehow means that anything goes. You know that people can just do what they want and and irrespective of the effect it has on themselves or their families or society or or religion or anything. I don't I don't buy into that that at all. Because again, going back to what Jesus talked about in Matthew seven, um, if there's a speck in the brother's eye, is the loving what's the loving thing to do then? Is it to say, Well, that's your eye and that's your life, and you can just live it you know, if you want to live with that speck, fine. Or does there is there some responsibility I have toward you, certainly looking at the plank in my own eye, of course, but then so I can see clearly. And, uh, I think that some of that's getting lost in our, in our society today, sadly.
0: I, I think kind of, I guess to, to help tie, tie all this in regarding like self-awareness and whatnot and, and the, the log and the spec, um, is to lean into identifying what your, what the log in your eye is, being able to, to definitely identify that and practice what Jesus tells us in order to repent and, and uh, address that, get the log out. Um, and then use that as an opportunity to witness to the person that may have that spec and just, just use that as a conversation piece. Like, so for, for example, I, I, I'm, I'm very much, uh, open to having discussions with anyone that wants to, that wants to talk about it, about it, any past sins I committed and and why I did it in that point in my life and what I've done since then to address it and correct correct whatever behavior I have. So that's me leaning into the the logs that I've had to dig out. And then that also may help like through those conversations that may potentially unearth additional logs in my eye that I did not recognize or, or any other specs that may be in there.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I think this is a lifelong thing. I, you know, and I like your analogy of the idea that, um, that there's probably more than one log. And so there's a kind of a continuous process of, of examining one's logs and, and maybe even Dealing with log jams, you know that might be uh, might be in uh, might be in the eye, you know. I, I and the witness. I particularly like what you said with respect to the witness side of that. I think one of the things that has made has put people on the defensive today, at least in the Christian community, is is the fear of being called a hypocrite. You know, this idea that, that I don't have the right to call out someone else's behavior because who am I to do that, you know? And certainly there's are ways to do that. You can be an arrogant, you know, you know what kind of person and call people out. Or you can do it in a more, maybe a little bit more gentle way. And I guess I kind of lean that way anyway, just even thinking about my, my personality. But the fear of being called a hypocrite and the reality that we are hypocrites you know when jesus again going back to matthew 7 when he was talking speaking those words he wasn't talking to perfect people he was talking to imperfect people and the dilemma is is how do i as an imperfect person what what responsibility do i have toward my brother who also is imperfect you know how do you do that how do you navigate that and again, the fear of being called a hypocrite and knowing that the reality is that we are, I think that where the gospel comes in is it says that we are forgiven hypocrites, but nonetheless still hypocritical. I mean, it, you know, the, the irony of the scapegoat idea is that Jesus himself was became the scapegoat for our, for our sin. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin, for us and that there's a great irony there that here he was sinless and perfect and took upon himself our sin so that we could have the gift of forgiveness and and new life in him so if anybody if there ever was anybody in the history of the world who justifiably could not be called a hypocrite it would have been Jesus Christ but there's not a single other human being that can legitimately make that claim we are all we are all hypocrites forgiveness covers that but it doesn't remove that and so i think that that it, to some degree is the dilemma of how do i hold you responsible for what you're responsible for without going into blame language or or what's called hate language how do i do that
0: yeah right and and i think one way to to hold others responsible and to also address the hypocrite kind of kind of argument there is to start with holding ourselves responsible and going through the act of repentance because i mean yes we are we are all hypocrites but whenever i whenever i'm hearing that and correct me if i'm wrong i'm i'm feeling like I'm able to discern it from what keeps us from being a continuous hypocrite, um, versus someone who was a hypocrite. Um, it is that act of repentance. Like, yes, I yeah. was, I was a hypocrite in the past. I like, I may be a hypocrite Tomorrow. in other, in other respects, <laughs> yeah. like in other topics or sure. whatever, but since then I have identified that, that, Problematic behavior. I've I've gone to God. I've gone, uh, you know. I've I, I, and I've asked for forgiveness through uh, Jesus Christ, who died who died on the cross for my sins, and I'm I, I am working to walk the right path with Jesus, and and so that's why I I'm you know bringing up these topics or or what have you because someone did that for me <laughs> in the past, and so I want to kind of pay it forward in a res, in a in in some respect. With with you in that spec.
1: Yeah, I think I and you're you're touching on something I think is important and you're saying it really actually better than I am. But I I think I think there there probably is a difference between someone who is struggles with hypocrisy. In other words, I know I'm a hypocrite because I do the very same things that I'm telling other people not to do. I mean, that would be an example of that. So I struggle with it and daily repentance is that I turn to God with my struggle and I admit that I'm struggling with it and and I'm grateful for the for, fact that I'm forgiven for it and then on a daily basis, I'm going to really work at overcoming that. That's different from the person who is almost in some sense a false prophet in the sense of deliberately using... This sort of do as I say, not as I do, and that's that there's that dissonance between as you as you stated uh, at the beginning of our conversation, using that that's that idea of um, uh, uh, deliberately, in some sense, not living as I say I am. You know that uh, sort of projecting an image and saying, well, this is who I am, but then if you look more closely at that person's life uh, and the way they conduct themselves. You're going. Wait a minute. You're not even close to what you're talking about. So I do think that uh, there is that difference between the intentional uh, misuse of something or the habit of that versus somebody that really genuinely struggles with it but is genuinely working at not, um, you know, not living living, living like
0: that. And, yeah. and even there's like uh, there's a third type. I think where they 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 say yes, I'm you know I'm I'm doing these sinful acts, but I'm forgiven anyway, so I'm just going to keep doing. it. Oh yeah, it. <laughs> taking
1: sort of license with it, you know. Oh, thank goodness I'm forgiven. I'm going to just go, you know, tie one on, you know. I mean, yeah. yeah uh, th- there, uh, I don't think there's any any question about that as well. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. This uh, article that I read earlier has generated all kinds of. Uh, all kinds of thoughts and here we are kind of at the, uh, tail end of Lent. We're on, this is good Friday. We're kind of talking these things through, We've got Easter coming up. So maybe th- as we think about sort of wrapping this up a little bit, uh, I, I just appreciate our having this great conversation. This is awesome.
0: Yeah, I like it. And hopefully I'm thinking maybe we can, we can do something to create a little yeah, bit of, maybe our, we of a, a different maybe we series. Maybe to think about
1: that, you know, um, <laughs> Kind of just between you and me, I, I really like our flow, you know. It might be kind of fun to bring in a third uh, third person at some point if there be, may be a way to do that, thinking maybe a Toby or somebody else. Um, it would require you to uh, buy more equipment, I guess, but uh, you know. Uh, you know me; I'm the gadget
0: hound, so I'll be. I, I would love an excuse yeah, to go well, ahead and get some more equipment. Yeah, let's just call you Mister Gadget.
1: I think we ought to probably do that, Inspector
0: Gadget. Yes,
1: absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, doing this, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing it on uh, on the podcast, and and then uh, sort of catching people's responses to it as well. Yeah. All
0: right, sounds good. good. Well, thank you very much, Pastor. Yeah, you Addy. bet. Thank you, Phil. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.